I'm going to try to be brief and try to be kid-friendly. Because I think in the New Testament, one of the things historically that was happening we was largely the church was made up of groups of families coming together, sometimes under persecution, needing in some ways be a little bit quiet, even maybe like coming to a place like this, someplace it's a little bit difficult to find. In the typical patterns when the church was meeting in their earliest days would be meals together, dad, mom, all the kids, relatives, talking about Jesus, and then saying, how do we live that out? And that's what we're going to do today. Um, I'm going to start by reading, and I'm going to look at two, two different translations today, and I'm going to try to make some that I hope the kids will get attention to. We're looking at the book of Galatians, and you hear it, it's a book in the Bible, one of 66, one of 27 in the New Testament. But practically what it is, it's a letter from the Apostle Paul to a group of churches in a province where he had been a missionary, and he's trying to sort out a really big problem in the sense that people are following all these laws and rules that are taking away their freedom in Christ. Let me see if I can work on my technology. I did. Okay, can you stand up? I'll read this out loud. You foolish Galatians, who has hypnotized you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you going to be made complete by the flesh? Did you suffer so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by hearing the faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, then understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sin. Now the scriptures saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and told the good news ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Please be seated. In just a moment, we're going to look at another translation. And I'm going to ask when it's over, I'm going to ask for the kids to answer a question. My question is going to be, what word does this translation say that you might get in trouble if you call one of your siblings that? So you have to pay a little bit of attention. We're going to look at two translations today. And I'm going to talk just a little bit about, this is one of my habits, when I really think, okay, I really need to learn this text, I try to get several translations out there and read them. And a question that sometimes comes up, someone will say, well, what's the best Bible translation to use? I know this is trite, I know it's a cliche, you've probably heard it before, but I think it's true, the best Bible translation is the one you will read. If you're going to read it consistently, take that one and keep reading it. But the first translation that we read was Holman's Christian Standard Bible. It's one that I've come to feel fairly familiar with the last couple of years. I like it. 
it reads to me easy, but it's one of those translations that does, really tries hard to stay close to the text. And let me even say this, I've used the phrase close to the text. The New Testament was written in the language of Greek. Some translations will try to go word by word. If this is the Greek word, this is the English word, and try to put sentences together. Michael read, I think, from the New American Standard Version. That's one of the translations that does that. If you read one of those translations, it can sound academic. Um, it can go word by word. But at times it just kind of reads awkward. It's not the way we talk. Other translations are more candid. They're more earthy. They're sometimes fun. Sometimes they feel a little more practical. They, they read the way that we typically talk. I'm going to read another translation. This is what I used to read when I was young. It's called J.D. Phillips' translation. I don't hear many people read it anymore. I guess I show that I'm old and that this was cool when I was young to read. Today it might be people who read Eugene Peterson's The Message. But I'm going to read it, and when I'm done, if you're under the age of 18, I want you to tell me what word Paul uses that you might get in trouble if you said to one of your siblings at home. Why don't you guys stand up and we'll look at Philip's translation. Okay, I'm going to read it. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, who saw Jesus, the crucified so plainly, who has been casting a spell over you? I will ask you one simple question. Did you receive the Spirit of God by trying to keep the law by believing the message of the gospel? Surely you can't be so idiotic as to think that a man begins his spiritual life in the Spirit and then completes it by reverting to outward observances. Has all your painful experience brought you nowhere? I simply cannot believe it. Does God who gives you a spirit and works miracles among you do these things because you have obeyed the law or because you have believed the gospel? Ask yourself that. You can go right back to Abraham and see the principle of faith in God. He, we are told, believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Can you not see that all of those who believe God are the real sons of Abraham? The scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith really proclaimed the gospel centuries ago in the words spoken to Abraham. In you all the nations shall be blessed. All men of faith share the blessing of Abraham who believe in God. Alright, sit down. Okay, kids, did you hear a word that you might get in trouble for using? Okay, what was the word? You can say it, Colin. Idiot. Idiot. I don't want to know if you ever have called your sibling this, but you probably shouldn't use that word, should you? We should treat one another with respect and honor and kindness. But sometimes, church leaders see something that makes them really, really mad. I hope I never get this mad at any of you. I hope I never use these words. But if you hear a church leader get this mad at an email, you probably ought to pay attention. Now, Paul has written a letter. He's gone to these churches. And we're only going to look at a couple of sections here. And we're going to try to be tight with it. But he starts off the section we're looking at. Good teachers use questions. And I think most of you, if you're kids... When you go to class, how many times do your teacher keep asking questions? They keep doing it over and over again, don't they? And some of it is they're hoping by asking the questions, they're going to draw you into the learning. 
And this is what Paul wants to do. He's got four questions that I found. The first one, who has hypnotized you? Or other translations say, who has cast a spell on you? Paul's writing to a group of churches. And as he's looking at what's happened to them, there's some new teachers that come in. And Paul literally compares them to witches or somebody who practices this odd thing called hypnotism where somehow you take someone's attention off of Jesus or off of the reality they're living with and they fall like into a trance. They're, they're really not thinking anymore. Somehow we might even say, if I'm going to use an adult word, it's like they're following a cult. They've lost their mind. They've been brainwashed. Who's done that to you? His second question. Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing with faith? Other translations said, did you receive the Spirit of God by trying to keep the law or by believing the message of the gospel? How did it enter your life? Was it simply by following rules or did some heart change happen to you? I think I'm going to talk to kids a little bit here. I remember when mine was a little boy and it would come time of the year for Mother's Day, my dad would take me and my brothers and we would go like on Friday or Saturday, we'd go buy something nice for mom. We might buy our card, we might buy our flowers. And I knew on Sunday when we gave something to my mom, it made her happy. But you know what? I wasn't until like I was about 25, 26, where I actually would hop into my brain, I should do something for my mom today. Now, my sisters were much more spiritual than me. By the time they were about three, my dad only had to set the example once, and they were doing nice things for mom. But this is what I want you to get all of you to see. As we come to faith, we're going to start to say, okay, I've got to give up some old things. I've got to start doing some new things. And we can try to create all of these expectations of what that means. But really it starts by having our lives changed. And something going on in our heart where we're looking at other people and trying to serve them. Michael talked about growing up in a church like that. Where the spirits moved in and then we start to play with rules. Paul's asking that. Where does it come from? Third question. Are you so foolish... Philip says it, surely you can't be so idiotic. Eugene Peterson translates this way, are you going to continue this craziness? Just being silly, foolish, crazy, trying to gather all this stuff by rules that actually are hard issues. Our fourth question, does God who gives you a spirit and works miracles among you do these things because you obey the law or because you have believed the gospel. Basically kind of recycling the second question. God doesn't do good things for us because of what we've done for him or others. It's just simple belief and then he changes everything about our life. Now, here's the big picture issue. The point of these four questions. Paul wants the Galatians to be reminded of this. They had vividly and plainly seen Jesus crucified. There must have been some people in their initial churches who back 15, 20 years 
before they had met Paul, had been in Jerusalem when Jesus died on the cross. And they had physically seen it. And it changed their lives and they could never go away. And then Paul went there with his colleagues and they preached it. And for those that heard it, it had so transformed their lives that they owned it. I'll tell a story that you might notice about Janet and I that's kind of a little bit silly. Janet grew up in Africa, and then we moved to Africa when I was, how old was I, 25, 26-ish? And though I didn't grow up in Africa, Janet and I at times would go back to the places where she was a child, and as we had become married, I started to almost assume that her experiences were my experiences. We got that enmeshed in how we looked at life. And I grew up in Minnesota, and I've gotten this opportunity to come back to the upper Midwest. And sometimes, Janet, I will say, I hope I'm, I'm not speaking for you too much. Don't you feel like you grew up in Minnesota or North Dakota when you live with me? Just a little bit. Well, when you have really deep, authentic relationships with people, their experiences start to become yours. Even though you may not have actually been there in the physical presence when it's been so real to them, and you see it transforming their life, and you become enmeshed with them, it becomes your experience too. And I think that's what's going on with these Galatian churches. There have been some people who saw the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it's been so powerful that they're all feeling like they're a part of it. That's the reminder. Then he tells in their history. Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, was considered righteous not for the good works he did, and he actually had many failings, but because of his Then it reminds them of history. And the Jewish people will look at Abraham and say he's the father of their faith, they're the descendants of Abraham. And all of the good that Abraham has seen, all things that are credited to his righteousness, are not because of the good things he's done, but because of faith. Now, I'm not going to read this for you, but I'll tell you a little bit. If you decide this week to go back and read the story of Abraham in Genesis, you're going to find that he was a man who walked close with God, but you're going to find he wasn't all that good a lot of times. He lied, he could trick people, he was a bit cunning. And when God looks at him and says, I'm going to credit it to you as righteousness, it's because of your belief, not because you've done so many righteous things. And that's in our life too. If we're honest with ourselves, we all come before the Lord broken by our own sin. And it's our faith that gets things credited to righteousness. Second thing, he reminds them about their history. Those who believe are the real sons of Abraham. They are the ones living up to history's expectations. Now, the Jewish people would say, okay, we're sons of Abraham. We're the genetic descendants. That means that we're God's special people. Paul is saying it's not just by the DNA. It's not just who your dad or mom or your grandparents are. It's faith that incorporates them into this family. And I think everybody that I see here, somebody that's coming to revive on a fairly regular basis, if anyone's visiting here, I want you to know if you took communion with us, 
You're part of our family. If you believe in Jesus' resurrection, you're part of our family, and you're part of Abraham's family. Third, it's predicted that all nations will be blessed through Abraham. Paul started this journey. The gospel started in Jerusalem, then Samaria, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the very ends of the earth. And now Paul's pushing it out. They're in the province of Galatia, a long ways away from Jerusalem. And in honesty, North Dakota is a long ways away from Jerusalem. And I'm thinking about a big change that happened on my weather this morning, but I bet Jerusalem's a little bit warmer than we are today. And we've got people here where our heritages are from all over the world, and the gospel is going to go to all nations, and anyone who believes in Jesus is part of our family. Last thing, I want us to talk four, I think we've got five questions. And a little bit of trying to think, okay, how do we manage, so we're teaching, and how do we manage looking like a church? I'm going to stop and let you guys have about ten minutes to talk about these questions in front of you. And this is what the church does. We see how do we, how do we learn from one another. After that, Michael's going to give, I think, a few announcements, have a prayer, and then we're going to start eating. God's blessing to all of you this day.